brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Movie Jumps, episode 26, Midnight Run. Let's get after it. I love to travel by train. Yeah, what do you think this is, a class trip? A tough ex-cop. Are you always this angry? A sensitive criminal. Oh, no, no, come on, come on. Cigarettes are killers. Why are we running away from the FBI? Because I got to bring it back myself, otherwise I won't get my money. They can't fly. They also suffer from acrophobia and claustrophobia. I'll tell you what, if you don't cooperate, you're going to suffer from fistophobia. They're seeing America the hard way. Why would you eat that? Because it tastes good. At gunpoint. What did you do before you did this? What qualified you for this? He's gaining. No kidding. He's flying. Of course he's gaining. Robert De Niro. It is truly in your best interest to just relax. I'm totally relaxed. Charles Grodin. $2, that's all you're going to leave? That's 15%. That's 13%. These people depend on tips for a living. From the director of Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Run. De Niro at his finest, in my humble opinion. It's Movie Jumps. We're back, folks. Episode 26, Midnight Run, a film exploding with F-bombs. Every other freaking sentence, it seems. Indeed. De Niro tossing out an expletive. Uh, supposedly, Corey, there's 119 F-bombs in this film. One for every cigarette that De Niro smokes <laughs> in this movie, I think. That would but be- yeah, that's a, that's a, it's it's unending. And I, I got to say, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this later. But when I got done watching this movie, which I really liked, by the way, I almost felt like this is a comedy done by Scorsese. <laughs> right. He did. He smoked for, I feel like, 85% of the film. And you notice it more now because it seems like nobody smokes. Yes. I mean, so now it's when you go back and watch those movies, like everybody's smoking in the background. They're smoking on the plane. They're going to like a gynecologist's office and they're smoking yeah. in there. At the, at, the, at the cafe. And, you know, kids today watch this and be like, that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to uh, our five questions segment in a moment. But first... We got to pay homage to uh, Mr. Chadwick Boseman. Died at just 43 this week. Major surprise, not a good one for fans in Hollywood. Boseman had been battling colon cancer for four years, a period that included the making of The Five Bloods, two Avenger films, that Thurgood Marshall film, and, of course, Black Panther. Corey, the first time I heard of this was, of course, well, not of course, it was from you in a text. I had to kind of jump on Twitter to confirm, which is another sign of the times, but... uh. Just kind of a devastating blow. What was going through your mind when you found out the news? I I initially thought it was uh, some a bad joke, like a practical joke or something like that. And then when I saw it was on the AP, and then when I saw it was on his verified Twitter account, I was just kind of at a loss for words, um, because this guy is was just a super talent, uh, you know, as an actor, as a human being, uh, and to be struck down so young at forty three. Um, it's just, it's just sad. I mean, it's just, it's really sad. And to, to, but even on the flip side of the sadness is to just 
take a moment and to step back and look about what he accomplished in those four years, the films he put out while he was dealing with surgeries and sickness and radiation and every other thing um, is just astounding. I mean, it really, it, it just, it blows the mind to think that he was going through that much pain. And believe me, I know because my mom, I mean, I've never experienced it personally, but I've seen it, my mom go through it and it's not, it's not pleasant. Um, up to the, I mean, to the point where nobody knew this is what's crazy. Yeah, that was to not even surprise too. Yeah, I mean, in this age of, so, of, of the internet and social media, the fact that he kept this quiet for this long is pretty surprising. I mean, I think people maybe knew something was up a couple months ago when he did um, an interview and he was extremely thin. But he, I, like many others, thought it was just because it might have been for reshoots due to Defy Bloods, where he, his character was very thin in that film as well but it turns out you know he had cancer and i guess he you know right up to the end he was he was positive he was going to play in black panther 2 um so it was a shock for for marvel obviously his fans the ones people actors who were closest closest to him um and just the outpouring of support and and positivity about this guy has been nothing short of amazing it was both sad and a little uplifting as you saw those those photos and videos circulating online i know on twitter it was a big deal of like these youngsters from all over the country kind of holding these these mock funerals almost for for Black Panther they had like the the Iron Man and Hulk you know Captain America characters set up like in this mock funeral which was which was I thought was pretty touching to see I mean it was kind of a dynamo this the whole popularity of the Black Panther character in the movie just kind of I think surprised a lot of people when it came out and I feel like Bozeman, I feel like he was aware of the weight of that role. And he seemed to carry yeah. it pretty regally over the last oh. couple of years. I, absolutely. I think he was very attuned and very aware of the responsibility of portraying realistically the first black superhero on camera. I mean, you can make a you know case for Blade and all that. But, I mean, this is maybe the most well-recognized black superhero in in comic book lore um and i know several of my friends who are black who when they saw this film you know it was it, it was a watershed moment for them that you know i had several people say to me i'm just so glad that this movie exists uh, you know and forget the fact that it's a spectacular film for a moment i mean he just owns the role i mean he yeah. owns he owns this role like keaton owned batman like reeves you know owned uh superman like you know godot uh, owns Wonder Woman. They, they, they. He is that character. He will ever for be T'Challa, Black Panther. You know, Ryan Coogler talked about he inherited the, the casting choice, and he said it was the best, you know, best thing that was ever delivered to him. Period. You know, and I don't want to be like grotesque or anything like that, but I mean, I don't even know how you recast this, how you even move ahead in, in this situation. You know, and I'm not trying to belittle the man's death or anything like that, but you can't, you can't take away how much this guy meant to people. Not only the char the character, but the person himself. Uh, the person himself. It's just I, I'm just I'm just kind of speechless. It's it's crazy. I've always what stuck out to me too with with Bozeman is he brought a certain humility and grace to his characters, and not not, not a flashy actor, not very outlandish in any way. So mm -hmm. in that respect too, I think it's it's going to be tough to duplicate what he brought to that role. I mean, even some of his other roles. I mean, I've been known to kind of rip on the movie 42 a couple of times. I enjoyed it. I liked it. I think it's tough to play Jackie Robinson um, mm -hmm. as good as he was because in our mind, you know, those old school baseball players, especially for guys like you and us, Corey, who, you know, we, we've, we've got a great appreciation for the game. Those, 
those dudes are kind of like the equivalent of uh of like Greek gods, like from Ruth to Gehrig to Jackie Robinson and some of those famous Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, so it's tough to, to step into those roles. But those are the big things that I really think about when I think of Bozeman. It's just the kind of humility and grace, especially with T'Challa and Black Panther. It knocked everyone over and knocked everyone for a loop. And in a 2020 year that has just seen some shitty things happen, this was another one to add to the list. And, you know, I don't think you can overstate how much of a tragedy this is, not just for, you know, the black community and how much he meant to the black community, but just for cinema in general. I mean, I, you mentioned 42. I mean, I didn't think the movie was particularly great, but I loved his performance. I mean, this guy in a short, very short career portrayed Thurgood Marshall, Jackie Robinson, and, um, oh my gosh. Oh, James Brown. Uh, forgot about James that, which Brown. I, I still I mean, haven't seen. That's no small feat. I mean, and I remember this guy all the way back from a really short-lived show that my wife and I watched back in 2010 called Persons uh, of Interest. Or Persons, no, wait a minute, might have been Persons Unknown. I can't remember which one. Um, you know, and just I, I recognized kind of his, his talent back then. Um, and I just, it's, it, Persons Unknown is what it was, by the way. But I can't, this just sucks, man. I mean, you know, first, uh, you know, you, you know, Kobe, Kobe death, and that you yes. didn't believe it. It almost felt surreal. Yeah, it, it did. Um, it, yeah. So like for, for Kobe to pass and now Chadwick Boseman, not to mention, you know, one of the more, more influ another influential person in the black community and John Thompson yeah. dying this past week, you know, yeah. the head former head coach at Georgetown, the first person black man ever to win a national championship at the division one level. I mean, it just stinks, man. <laughs> it just really stinks, and I, I feel like I feel like Bozeman. I, what What's the most tragic thing about it, besides the fact of the loss, obviously, to his friends, his family, the black community, everything like that, is from just from a pure cinematic point of view. He had so many more, you know, at, at played appearances. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I yeah. He, on his horizon. I mean, I I feel like this guy could have easily transitioned into directing you know obviously i thought he was going to play t'challa for years to come um you know do a number of of different roles um and the fact that he's not going to get that opportunity is really sad and it's it's i can almost guarantee just knowing kind of the way how things hollywood way things are with hollywood is that you know i i think he was on the radar to get a best supporting actor nomination for the five bloods i think it's probably in the bank by now with his passing um, and, and deservedly. So whether, regardless of whether he died or not, um, but this is just, this sucks. I mean, this just really just flat out sucks. <laughs> it's, it's becoming one of those years. We're just, we're kind of grasping for anything positive, any kind of sliver of optimism here. And it's tough. It's a rough year. And um, yeah, definitely for Hollywood and for fans, you know, the country and really the world over. So, you know, big tip of the cap to Mr. Bozeman, a lot of inspiring stories, you know, coming out of uh, his life, really, too. Like yeah. how he handled those two, uh, those two young boys who had cancer and who had reached out to him. There's been a lot of, like, videos resurfacing of him talking about those boys when you as a viewer know that he's battling cancer, but he's not bringing it up. And there's some real, real emotional videos. So but we'll try to – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I think the testament sometimes of, of a real hero – uh, and a good human being is is what uh, is the good things that they do behind the scenes in the shadows that you never hear about, um, because they're not looking <laughs> for their you know their moment in spotlight to be patted on the back you know 
Um, they just want to kind of do those good, good, good deeds in silence. Um, that's why, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't hear things like this until after they pass or after the fact, or, or you have to find out years later that people like Keanu Reeves have been supporting hospitals, you know, quietly on the down low for decades and nobody knew. Um, but this, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, Hollywood's lost a great, a great talent and, uh, it looks like an even better human being and, you know, rest in, rest in power King and, and, uh, my, my condolences to his friends, families, and loved ones. And a quick shout out also to uh, some nice little tributes around uh, around the country. I like some of the local theaters here in Rochester, just putting on their like billboard, the the digital billboards there, Wakanda Forever, which was kind of yeah. which was kind of neat to see. And some TV stations were playing uh, some of those movies in full without commercials. They played Black Panther yep. the other night on ABC. So uh, then did a tribute to him, I believe, afterwards. Yes. So. Yes. Very neat to see. So we're going to try to make a tough transition here, but yeah. We're going to make it happen because that's who we are. Darn it. Five questions. Weekly segment. We're going to turn things around, and it's your turn this week. Good, sir. Yes, thank you, sir. Okay, question number one. Better Labor Day vacation spot, beach or campsite? Well, seeing that we just watched Jaws, we did Jaws last <laughs> week, I'm going to go campsite until, we, until okay. we do, you know, Jason Voorhees movies. I'm going campsite. Okay. I'm kind of going as an amalgamation of the two because my favorite um, uh, spot for labor I used to go to was my uncle's cabin up at the St. Lawrence River. Um, oh. So kind of kind of more closer, I think, to campsite than, say, you know, the ocean would be. But that's, that's my preferred spot. Um, question two, real-life race between Flash and Superman. Who you got? Flash. He's used to running fast. Mm-hmm. He can move around. Okay. He's going to move around objects. We don't know how good Superman is. Superman flies everywhere, right? I think he's going to be a little That's rusty true. on the ground. So I'm going to, I'm going to give okay. this one to Flash. I Wait, I the think Flash or Flash Ed. Gordon? No, it's The Flash, thing. like the comic book character, yeah. The Flash. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not Sam Jones. <laughs> Flash. Oh. <laughs> what a great song. Uh, I think I got to go with Superman only because, I mean, it varies on who you talk to. But if you're going solely by like the Flash television show, his top speed is 2,532 miles per hour. So oh, technically, Superman can go like fast speed of light and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Superman. But it depends. I mean, it depends on what story you read and whatever in that situation. So well said. All right. Question three: You have a, the choice between writing your novel in longhand. Or with a typewriter where the A doesn't work properly, which which one do you choose? Uh, is it a memoir or a biography? Or autobiography? Just whatever book your your grand my American mag- my magnum book. opus. Your magnum opus, yeah. Which I'm halfway through, by the way. Not really. Um, yeah. That is Picture a fantastic book? question. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say without the freaking A. There is the at sign, but that would be that's way out of the way and very difficult to use. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go type. I'm gonna go type. If if it's long, I'll find a way around it. It's gonna be frustrating at first, but after hopefully like 40 pages, maybe I get used to it. Maybe I come up with some kind of alternative. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be extremely difficult. Excellent question. One of the best in weeks. 
<laughs> I thought I was like, let me just pick really two really annoying things to do and have Luke choose between those two. Uh, I honestly think I would go with longhand because I'm telling you right now, the A not working, and obviously is, A is such an integral vowel into the English language and words it's used, it would drive me absolutely batshit after about 10 minutes. So I think I would probably have to go with writing it longhand. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where the A wouldn't work. I mean, assuming the button's there, right? It's just not showing an A on the screen or a typewriter. Or Correct. So I think the motion, I would stick with the motion. But it would be like one of those things you see, those eye tests where they take out like some of the vowels, but you can still mm -hmm. say, see what the paragraph says. Like Corey yep. Cook is an excellent individual with great oh, I've seen those. values. And you know, you can, <laughs> you can see, you know right away what it's saying, even though all the vowels are. One of those things. Okay, cool. All right, question four. You have the power to rename Zoom. What do you rename it to? Yowzer. Yowzer. I actually like that. Uh, I'm going to name it to Where's My Pants. <laughs> There's got to be an app called that already. Uh, probably. Um, and final question, sir. Better big cat, lion or tiger? Give me, give me tiger, please. Mm -hmm. I think I go tiger as well. Um, lions tend to lie around. I've read somewhere once that sometimes they can sleep up to 22 hours a day or something like that. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah, so, if I'm worried it's going to go with me, then give me lion because I have a better chance of surviving if that thing's napping half the time. That's true. Yeah, and I mean, you probably don't have any chance of survival if Carol Baskin's around, but that's a completely different story. And she's so. going to be on Dancing with the Stars. I did see that, you know. How is that going to work out? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's stuff like that that makes me go humanity is doomed, but hey. <laughs> What, what are you going to do? go wrong? It's 2020. Yeah. Here's what could go right. 1988, Midnight Run. Rolling Stone calls this, called it the Casablanca of buddy comedies a couple of years ago. I found that funny. So many people over the years have said the same thing. My dad's been saying this. You can't stand Charles Grodin, but you love him at Midnight Run. This was your first watch of the film. Where do you stand with that? I really, really liked this movie. I, I don't think I loved it as some people did, but I really, really liked it. It, it definitely a lot. grows on you after like the seventeenth watch, after like the fourth <laughs> watch, because you know, especially the old days, like the cable days, that's really where it gained steam. And I'll get it. I'll tell you why in a little bit. I do remember it being on cable quite a bit, and for some yes. reason, I remember actually when the movie actually came out, I remember watching the, the TV commercial ad for it because I remember the thing that always struck me is that part where they're on the train and De Niro comes back in, you know, like loops around and comes back and it's like, hey, surprised to see me or something. Right, right. It always like stood out to me for some reason. But yeah, this was a first time watch for me, and I, I, again, I hate. I can't stand Charles Grodin. I, I've never liked anything in he, that he's been in until this movie because his chemistry with De Niro is so good. And I mean, this is like you said. It was. It's, this is the Casablanca of buddy comedies. They work so well together, and there's so many laugh out loud moments that really got me. That it's just. It's so the, the dialogue in this is great. I mean, it's just. I really had a really good time with it. It feels like you're hanging out with De Niro, like the real De Niro, for two hours. Because in movies before then, even movies since, De Niro, there's always like a sense of mystery to him, right? There's always like, a, like he always seems a little bit closed off, right? He's not very, this, he must have the most dialogue in this than any other film. 
maybe that I can think of. Maybe other than Casino, because I feel like he was in a good chunk of Casino where he's doing a lot of talking. But in this one, it really feels like it, none of the dialogue feels forced. There was a lot of it that was improvised, which we'll get into shortly. Um, I think that's a big charm of this is you're getting, you're getting a lot of just De Niro at his De Niroist. And even in those faces we always talk about, mm-hmm. it's like I'm making the faces now in the Zoom like the. You know, like he's just getting a yeah. kick out of himself. In you that. do. You have a great De Niro face. You always have. I remember the first time you did it. I thought I was going to fall off the table. I thought I'd fall <laughs> off the chair. I was laughing so hard because um, you just, you know, hey, but you. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're killing me, man. I wish you guys could see this. Um, but yeah, I, you know, Bobby De Niro has always been very spontaneous um, when he you know, on sets for the most part, um, and. You're right. It's, he, there's just so many good moments of dialogue that you, you, you almost felt like not everything of this happened right on the script because some of it's felt like so organic, like in the moment that you're like, you know, and I'm not sure if it, you know, all of, you know, the ones that I thought were um, improvised weren't, but I mean, some, there's just so many great little things like um, that one part where he says, uh, he says, he's like, are you going to propose? He's like, then stop looking at me, you know, or, or even not even just that, the, that dialogue when Dennis Farina is a uh, character, I forget what his name is now. Um, the, the, the mobster there, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Serrano, Serrano. says to his, uh, um, uh, says to his, I think it's his, his, his lawyer. Um, is like, if you say one more word, I'm going to put this fucking telephone in your fucking head and there's some colorful (laughs) there's some some colorful colorful use there's some colorful use of of the f-bomb uh for sure in in this film but i just love that yeah the 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 heart of this film is de niro and groden's performance um you know in the way that the characters of jack walsh and charles groden or i'm sorry uh john mardukas or the duke as they call him kind of just play off each other um and it's almost like a, a even more adult, intense action uh, uh, session of planes, trains, and automobiles in a lot of yes. ways. Yes, that's a great comparison. And you talked about that um, the boxcar scene, the train scene. You know, mm-hmm. you you said you remembered it from the trailer growing up, uh, and that was actually one of the cool fun facts that I saw. Just doing a little background research, and I guess they're so when they're sitting there, when you know Groden's like handcuffed once again, De Niro's sitting by the fire. Once again, having a smoke. And I guess the yep. director, Martin Brest, said something to Marduk or to Groden, like, hey, look, make De Niro laugh, whatever you got to do to get him going. And that's mm-hmm. when Groden totally supposedly improvised that whole thing um, where he, you know, he kind of like makes fun of De Niro. He's like, hey, Jack, shut up. You know, he like says yeah. what, what De Niro would say. And then he says, there's like that moment of silence. And then he says, you ever had sex with an animal, Jack? <laughs> you're just the camera custom De Niro and De Niro's kind of, you know, he kind of laughs. He's like, yeah, there's a couple I would have taken a shot back there. I mean, when they're yeah, talking about the chickens. chickens, but I just, chicken. knowing that when you watch it, you know, that really seems like that kind of sparkle. I think when you know the dialogue just, you know, they came up with it on the spot. And you can't script something like that. No. You can't fake something like that. You can't fake the chemistry. You can't fake, you know, the earnestness of a, of a situation like that. Where these, you know, and I love that where they're talking in that in that moment as well, saying, you know, and you know, maybe in different circumstances, we probably still would have hated each other. And he starts That's laughing. Says, yeah, you know, I think we, you know, uh, we might have we might have been friends um, because, you know, in, in some ways, let's be honest, uh, the Duke, 
serves a little bit um, as Jack's conscious in um, um, throughout some of this movie. You know, yeah. tell him like, we're going to Chicago. Yeah. You got to stop and see your wife. You got to stop and see your kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> or the, he's kind of the nagging uncle. He's like, why are you eating that? That crap's terrible for you. You got to smoke. You know, and it's 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 so annoying, but it's kind of it's kind of endearing and funny because of the fact that you can tell that the Duke is somebody who actually cares. You know, he he care he cares. He didn't give away that fifteen million dollars he embezzled to the to charities for no reason. You know, it's a case where you don't like him at first, not just because he's Charles Grodin. Uh, and then you like just kind of grow to love the character when you see that he's for real in terms of what he did, you know, to swindle that money and, and where the money went. So I was always curious, like, how come this movie wasn't a bigger hit? I mean, it, it raked in a lot of money at the box office. But when I looked at, so it comes out in the summer of 1988, I can't believe the list, the laundry list of freaking movies that came out in 1988. It might be the greatest movie year ever. I'm going to rattle some off. Big. Go for it. Big, Beetlejuice, yep. Rain Man, Die Hard, Willow, Coming to America, Supreme to Roger Rabbit, Young Guns, Twins, The First Naked Gun, Great Outdoors, Bloodsport, Stand and Deliver, Child's Play, Cocktail, Mississippi Burning, Crocodile Dundee Part 2, Beaches, Working Girl, Fish Called Wanda. And you think, all right, that's a lot of big movies in 1988. Not done. Bull Durham, Red Heat. Rambo 3, Killer Clowns from Out of Space. We'll toss that one. Yeah. Last Temptation of Christ, big Oscar winner, I think. Mac and Me, Frantic, Scrooge. God, Mac and Me. License to Drive, Eight Men Out, and She's Having a Baby, and there's a bunch I just didn't feel like writing out. That's an insane year of movies. That that is a really quality year, and what's even more impressive is a lot of those films you named actually were really great comedies as well. Yeah. So for the fact that Midnight Run is a, is a standout in that is is pretty impressive. The other thing that's interesting to me is the one you not, you mentioned right off the bat was big, and actually De Niro was interested in playing um, the Tom Hanks character um, in that film, but it ended up obviously going to to Tom Hanks in that in that situation. But I mean, the reason he kind of did Midnight Ronder decided to choose it because it is because after Untouchables he wanted to do something different you know he 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 wanted to appear in a comedy and and up until you know this time we really never really got to see De Niro's comedy chops I mean yeah there was the king of comedy with with Martin Scorsese back in the early 80s but as this is where he really got to flex and show hey you know he, he, you know, he can do more than kind of gritty and dark and brooding and, and, and whatever. Um, he could, he can actually be funny given the right material and given the, the correct person to, to go off of. Um, so the fact that he was actually willing to do something different, step outside of his box and fundamentally hit it out of the park was, was a great career choice. And ultimately, again, one of the great comedies um, long remembered. Comedy wise, He's hitting for the cycle here. And I know we've talked about this before. It's too many baseball references, you and I. But, hey, we got yeah. it. We need something positive in 2020. So we go old school yep. with the baseball references. It's, it's not only the, it, it's the delivery with him. It's the timing, I think, is there. I think there's moments of silence. There's the faces he makes. Uh, my father and I love this movie. And it was something that we didn't even like when we first watched it. But like over the years, we've kind of, you know, started imitating certain lines and acting out scenes. We love the whole running joke throughout uh, Midnight Run where De Niro does the old like, hey, look, a Goodyear blimp line where he's like, hey, Marvin. 
and then Marvin yeah. turns, and then he punches, and they do it like three or four times. CNA, LA, Marvin. <laughs> right, like, Marvin, look out! Like, and he pulls it <laughs> off so well. It's little things like that, that those kind of nuances. That and just what, really appre- what, help you appreciate De Niro and all his wanderlust here. Yeah, it really does. And the fact that the final time that he actually does it he actually really means it like serrano's guys are behind your ass turned around he's like i'm not falling for that shit again you know (laughs) that there's so it's funny because there are so many you know running gags can be very hit or miss they can be very annoying and this film has a lot of them that just absolutely work there's there's that one that you just mentioned they're the one there is the the fact where that he, he somebody is constantly impersonating Alonzo Mosley. Right. right. <laughs> you know, He's like, Wait whether a it's Are Marvin you guys all named or... Alonzo Mosley? That was the name of the guy on the plane. <laughs> like, and, and it, you know, that one point that's, um, you know, uh, Yafet Kodos, the, the guy who actually the action Alonzo Mosley, like, I'm Mosley. <laughs> you know, he just right. gets so angry. He's great um, in this too because you, you can see the frustration boiling in him throughout the whole movie, right? Like he's just always a step behind. And then Jack always gets the best of him with the glasses and the freaking yes. badge. The glasses. That's another great gag. Or the fact that um, Mosley's constantly taking Marvin's cigarettes. You know, that's a running gag. That Watch your cigarettes really around funny. this guy, Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the fact that he's so intense, uh, Yafet Koto's um, character of Alonzo Mosley, probably due to the fact that apparently, according to Koto, for almost this entire film, he was sick the whole time. Um, he had really had a high temperature most of the time and just was kind of a miserable shoot um but he was you know thankful that he actually got to be uh, participating in this and it's so funny that this is other than this an alien i really can't think of any other movie that i, I remember that yafet koto has been in but he's he's great in this in this role as the as the kind of the the straight man and i do like how he finally teams up with jack in the end that's kind of mm-hmm. a nice because you almost feel, to a point you, you do feel bad for him a little bit i mean clearly we're rooting for de niro throughout this whole thing but at some right. point you feel like, all right, this guy's just trying to do his job. He's just trying to bring in the bad guys. Yeah. And that was kind of the genius nature to me of 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 somewhat of the the story and script, because with about, you know, half an hour to go, you know, obviously at that point, or half an hour to go in the movie, at that point, you know, Jack has done a certain amount of felonies by now. You know, impersonating <laughs> right. FBI police officers, stealing cars, you know, stuff like that. Well, even that, and I'm thinking, even that helicopter, like somebody had to have died on there, right? And they just yeah, and brushed it, it off. Like, hey, that, that was, yeah, you can't, yeah, a couple of people actually died in that thing. And that was one of those moments that I was kind of like, okay, because he shot, you know, the back end of the, the helicopter and it just crashes into the, 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 you know, the, uh, the mountain, but then again, you know, it's a movie, so I can, I can let some things slide, but I, it, that was kind of the genius to George Gallo's, um, script is the fact that he's able to, Jack is able to get himself out of the situation. And he's like, I can serve you up Serrano on a silver platter. Um, and it, it, it's, it, you know, it somehow like all works out in the end, you know, like Serrano gets taken, um, you know, the Duke, is able to, you know, he lets the Duke go and the Duke ends up getting, giving him $300,000 for his coffee shop. I mean, everything kind of, you know, it is kind of all's well that ends well ending, but at the same time, it's, I think it's earned. Absolutely. One of my favorite little quotes I just thought of that I wrote down is when, uh, of course, Walsh and the Duke are talking and Duke goes, Jack, you're a grown man. You're control your own words. And then De Niro's like, you're goddamn right. I am. Now here come two words for you. Shut the fuck up. 
<laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's a great line because, yeah. Oh, God. And and the other part that, you know, I don't know if this was spontaneous or planned or not, but the part where he had the first time he had, when he steals Alonzo Mosley's Mo, FBI badge and he's you, there's that panning shot of him, not panning shot, but that shot of him, um, long shot of him walking down the street. And so yeah. he just turns around and like flash, flashes the badge. <laughs> it just it was so I don't know if that was spontaneous or not. But it just seemed like such something a ten-year-old would do, and for for an, a mature adult like De Niro of all people to do something like that, just really uh, it tickled my funny bone in, so, in the so right way. So glad you brought that up because I was I was curious if someone who was watching it for the first time, like yourself, would notice something like that. Because at that point he's walking away. That's usually the time where you like right, you scratch your eye or maybe you look down for your phone for a couple seconds. That's one of my father's favorite scenes. He'll do that if he's like I'm o- if I'm over there and he's he's putting his wallet away or something. He'll <laughs> like you know he'll you know he'll turn around and do that. I sent him the gif of that the other day. He got a kick out of that. How about when they're in the store and uh, Charles Grodin's like, hey, look, we need some money. I'll take care of this. Just give me your badge. And they go on there and he's like doing the, the whole litmus configuration. Yeah, the litmus configuration. Yeah, you're doing litmus configuration. Right? Yeah, the litmus configuration. And he's keeping that stone face. And then yes. one of my favorite scenes is where uh, Grodin's like, all right, tell me everything you, you know about the last person to have walked in here and to have paid with one of these bills. He's like, He's about uh he's like about thirty tall and the guy's like about six feet tall. He's like six five. Dark brown hair, light colored. Sounds like our man. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's like completely off. <laughs> and Grove I, just goes with it. Genius. I I it is improvised that. What say that again? Supposedly he improvised that. So there's Did no really? freaking way. There's no way though. If he improvised that, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that maybe I don't know if I buy that. That may be one of my favorite parts of the entire movie because he goes in there. I mean, it's like seemingly out of nowhere that this guy who, you know, obviously has several neuroses um, would would do this thing, you know, and just walk in and just, like you said, straight faced the whole time and just seriousness and um, and directing Jack around. And I, you could just tell that that Jack was taken aback. Like, is this really happening right now? And I think one of the better, one of the great moments too is when he's in that bar and he just turns. Turns, turns to that guy next to me. He's like, do you come here often? He's like, yeah. And he's like, you live around here? He's like, yeah. And he's like, mm. And just turns away. And that's you it, know? yeah. <laughs> there, there's all these just just little, little moments. And then like, you know, this five minutes later. moments. Yeah, there's that. There's a series of moments that build together. And then like five minutes later, they're trying to jump that train. <laughs> and I tell you that the jumping, I, I got cracking up. When they're jumping the train and freaking De Niro's bag just it basically <laughs> falls explodes. through his hands, just explodes on the ground. <laughs> like they just went through this whole routine to get this money to get some food, and now like half of it's gone in this instance. And Groden always trying to lose De Niro, right? And then boom, yeah. De Niro's right back, climbs over the boxcar, and you know does that scene uh, that you talked about. I will say this about improvisation, and maybe I'm wrong about this. I feel like when we do our research, a lot of times you find out that somebody improvised a line or a scene. I wonder what they mean also is not necessarily that they came up with this at the top of their head, but maybe that it wasn't in the initial script. And maybe Groden said, why don't we try this? I'll say something like, "You, hey, you store clerk, you say the opposite of whatever I say. And I'll just kind of say something like, yeah, that sounds like our guy. 
You know what I mean? So I don't know if they obviously clearly that wasn't like pure jazz at that moment. Mm -hmm. I'm sure maybe they talked it out a little bit beforehand. Hey, De Niro, Bobby, you go around the corner, you go around the counter and go into the till and start using your eraser for the litmus configuration. I'm sure that's probably what happened, right? I would think so. You know, having kind of the broad strokes. I mean, I I just don't necessarily think that you, you, you know, all of a sudden somebody says action and then that whole thing just kind of materializes in front of it. It's probably, you know, a matter of, you know, De Niro and or Charles Grodin, you know, going up to Martin Brest and say, hey, or like, you know, confabbing together for a moment saying, hey, listen, I want to try something. Let's just go with this and and just kind of like I'm going to do this thing and blah, 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 and not mapping it out too much, but kind of, again, just the broad strokes and see where it plays out. Um and it's actually even funny to me that some of the stuff that happened in here got improvised and, and made it into the film because, by all accounts, it was somewhat of a difficult shoot. Because, as I kind of mentioned before, De Niro's very spontaneous, always helps to work with, an, you know, kind of have an artist like that. Martin Brest, in, in some ways, is very much a guy who does a lot of takes, maybe not to like the Fincher level, but he has things very ordered and patterned. Um, in fact, Yafet Kodo, again, who played uh, Lonzo Mosley, ca- called him hair director <laughs> at <laughs> one point. Um, so it was a little bit strained and stressful. And, and if you, I guess, De Niro during the shoot actually stopped eating <laughs> at some point uh, and really? like just got thinner and thinner each day. And if you actually watch the film, you can kind of notice that. That's one thing I did. And I was like, man, Martin De Niro looks, Marty, or sorry, Robert De Niro looks really thin in this movie. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently that was one of the, the, the behind the scenes. Uh, aspects of that so it's both that he spent time with real bounty hunters i guess and like detectives too i heard yes um and you know that makes sense because you know i I believe at least in some degrees that de niro goes to the method school of acting um and you can can definitely tell that i mean de niro's very believable in this character like you could see him being a, a bounty hunter um you know how how they would approach you know certain you know people and, and whatnot um i think that's realistic i just i got that sense that you know you're very invested in it it's very realistic that he could be uh that person um so that that you know that in that instance that kind of uh makes a lot of sense to me and as good as groden and de niro are in here talked a little bit about Cado. we talked a little bit about dennis farina who's just a lot of fun as, yes uh, oh my gosh Jimmy Serrano. Jimmy Serrano. <laughs> one of the great lines. He's like, hey, more on number one. Put number, more on number two on the phone. He's like, hey, it's for you. <laughs> it's like a, such a stupid little line. But also Joe Pants. Joe Pants. Yes. Liano. He is marvelous in here. Is kind of like the, 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 the bail guy. The bail bondsman. Bail bondsman. And when, what a Every terrible haircut. The phone. Oh, it's an awful haircut. I'm so glad he shaved his head eventually. Yeah, smart move. It's just it's disgusting in here, but he's a lot of fun. He adds a lot of color. I mean, at this point, people knew him from Goonies, of course, as one of the Fratelli brothers. But then in here, it's like he he throws a lot of f bombs out there too. I feel like every time he's going, he's like, "You got the Duke, oh fucking a Jack, you got the Duke." Yeah, and then and then other times he's just like, "Where the fuck is the Duke, Jack? You got <laughs> two fucking days." You know, it's like I. Four hundred forty fuck five thousand fucking dollars. You know, just, just he's so and what a great 
final F you by Jack Walsh to be like, speak to the Duke. Hey, say so goodbye to the Duke. I'm letting him go. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> and, he just, and then he just kind of hangs up. And, you know, this is like pre-cell phone too. So, you know, yep. poor Joe Pants, he's got to be on the freaking Moscone. Was that the name? Moscone or Moscone, I believe? Uh, Moscone, I think. Moscone. Eddie Moscone. Eddie Moscone. So he's just sitting by the phone freaking all hours. I still don't understand how this works. So Moscone gets the contract from who? Like police in L.A. or Los Angeles um, to bring him in? Is that how? Like, I don't understand I think who's I'm, paying Moscone. I'm not exactly. I'm not exactly sure how that works. It basically, I don't know the ins and outs of bail bonds in that situation, but from what I understand, he put up the money, and then, you know, if you if you put up the money for someone, uh, you're on the hook for the entire amount if they skip town. So you're paying some, you know, the bounty hunter to bring that guy back so that you don't, you know, default and have to pay all that money. At least that's what I kind of kind of gathered i I really wasn't going to do a deep dive on the history of (laughs) bail and bonds and bail bondsmen in in, in any way shape or form jack Um, jack it's an easy job it's a midnight run it's a midnight run which i didn't even know that was a term until obviously this movie um but yeah he has he has a lot to this uh everyone has you know it's one of those movies again where there's no kind of small roles everybody kind of adds something a little something even the the like you said more on one and more on two i think their names were Tony and Joey, um, Serrano's, Serrano's uh, knuckleheads, they they just cracked me up because the one guy's like on the phone and the other guy's doing the fake punching. Oh, that's a great scene. <laughs> and he's just like, will you leave me alone? Or that other time he's like holding De Niro, Jack Walsh, De Niro's jacket and be like, is this goat skin? <laughs> like, what is going on? Or De Niro's like, you're going to propose? He's like, what? Propose. Otherwise, stop looking at me. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, those guys, those those guys made it for me. That was pretty funny. So supposedly, well, not supposedly, there was a sequel in 1994. I don't know if you you read about that. It's called Another Midnight Run. None yes, of the I've original heard about cast, that. Jack Walsh, De Niro's character, played by Christopher McDonald, better known as Shooter McGavin yes. from Happy Gilmore, which would and he's a huge Bills fan, by the way. Christopher McDonald. I didn't hear that. Yeah, he loves the Bills. I, not from Buffalo, but just. A diehard Bills guy for whatever reason. Well, I think he's from the Geneva area, I thought. But in any, I guess, yeah, he's really good friends with, with Jim Kelly. He, he might have yeah, lived he, there for a little bit or something. Yeah, he had huge fan, huge friends with uh, Kelly, yeah. and uh, But, yeah, you're right, though. There's three uh, three television sequels, actually. Another Midnight yep. Run, Midnight Run Around, and Midnight Run for Your Life, all starring uh, him. I actually want to um, watch I, those, to be honest. I'm sure they're terrible. They, but it's got to be entertaining in like an, in an old school '80s way, even though they were in the early '90s. Still had remnants yeah. of the '80s cheese, right? A lot of like cheesy medium shots of actors, just you know them like, all right, that take will work. Yeah, and uh, the other thing, this is such. If you didn't know this was an '80s movie, '80s movie, you would buy just the music alone Danny of, of Danny Elfman's Elfman's score, where there's so many like saxophones so and bluesy. harmonicas. Yeah, I mean, you know that it, that that seemed like the 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 um, je ne sais quoi of '80s films, which either had kind of like a jazz situation, like in Midnight Run, and say like Lethal Weapon, or it was some kind of like synth pop. 
you know, like synthesizers right. and, and shit going on that like just kind of define that decade for some reason. But the score is is really good in this. It really makes it. It's um, fun. And, yeah, one, one, one Elfman's better scores for sure. Yeah, it's funny you talked about like saxophone because the Lethal Weapon, it was almost like that sexy sax, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, it sounds like somebody's about to make love the saxophone. Mm-hmm. Where in this, it's yep. like just kind of like a, you know, Wednesday night down at the, the jazz club and everybody's just having a couple extra pops for the evening after a tough day of work. It's got a very yep. blue collar, you know, workman like blues vibe to it but yeah it's totally it's it almost like its own character and you notice it more when you watch it a couple times it's funny you mention that because it does have its own character i think it's one of the signature components to make this a really great film is that that particular score uh, because it just kind of you know permeates and saturates and, and sets you know even sets the mode um in some of the more serious moments in this in this film you know, or or even kind of sometimes the lack of a particular score, like when you know when De Niro's Jack Walsh confronts his his ex-wife and and his his daughter there. I mean, you can you can see like the hesitation on his face, like do I give her a hug? Do I not give her a hug? You know, it's 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 really kind of some emotions warring on his face. Um, you know, and then there's some moments where you gotta sometimes gotta be be smart to pull back on on the score in in that instances. Um, and I think it's funny because I think the reason some of the comedy works so well is because there's moments of real pathos and drama interspersed throughout this film that make that that make these two characters, especially the the, the two primary characters of the Duke and Jack, very likable, very relatable. And you're invested in their story. Danielle DeCluse is the one who played his daughter, and she's only in it for a few minutes, really. Just her performance pops off the screen. I mean, she's very like, he just seems like the average eighth grader. When does De Niro say, oh, so you're in the, you're in the eighth grade now? You know, he's almost yep. like he can't come up with anything else to say. And yep. Just kind of the back and forth. And then she runs out to the car, you know, trying to help him out with money. I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of work in that story. So it really had to sizzle and work. And I thought it did. Like, it seemed realistic. It was 100% earnest and realistic, and you know, you know what kind of a dad that Jack Walsh was in those few um, small scenes between the two of them. Because I mean, up to this point, you know, he said before, I haven't seen my wife or my, my ex-wife or my daughter in nine years. You're thinking, is oh, is he a deadbeat dad? You know, what's his situation? And you really get a sense after those scenes with his daughter that he was he was in an untenable really tough spot um and that despite that he still has a daughter that remembers what kind of what how good of a dad he was that she has she hasn't seen him in nine years and is and knows that he's in trouble knows he's desperate knows he seems to be a good man and is willing to give without even thinking give this man she hasn't seen in, in nine years 180 dollars and he you know and he doesn't take it um that i think spoke volumes to the depth and the nuance of that Jack Walsh character for me. Did you know, well said, sir, always well said. Did you notice who played the guy working in the diner right after De Niro? Tracy Walter, our boy from yes, Conan. Indeed. Yep. And from Batman. That's right. <laughs> yeah. from, you know, his, he has got a lot of film credits. <laughs> he to really does. Obviously, 
small little things. I mean, he's he's credited in this film as Diner Counter Man. He doesn't even have a name. They don't um, they don't even show him that much. It's easy to miss him. I feel like a couple right. of heads like you picked up on it just because we're weird like that. But I'm yep. surprised he's agent or whatever didn't say, hey, look, let's get like a, let's get a little full frontal of his face here. Yeah, it's like now nah, we're gonna shoot you from the side the the entire time here. Right. Um. But also, you know, a small role by Philip Baker Halls in this movie as well, playing Sidney. Um, uh, Jimmy Serrano's, uh, I believe it was his lawyer in that case. Yeah. You know, he kind of noticed him more, you know, uh, he'll uh, he'll be, fe- you know, featured in a movie that we're going to be doing very shortly, I believe, in the future, Boogie Nights. You know, he was in that film. He was in Magnolia, um, you know, a couple different ones. So it's, it's you know, there's all these little kind of um, – small parts in some ways that you like you recognize and see oh i know that guy you know even john ashton's marvin dorfler you're yeah. like oh okay the dude from beverly hills cop yes another martin breast film i don't think i have anything else what else I, jumped out at you about this well there's a couple things like I, I think we need to take a second to actually talk about director martin breast because he's one of those guys that i think gets forgotten in time um, as as a director, because if you look at, I mean, looking at his catalog, um, you know, he for me d- did well now with with Midnight Run three of incredible films. You know, you've got Beverly's Hill Cop, The Hills Cop in 1984, you've got Midnight Run, and then he does Scent of a Woman, and I'm like, those are some pretty big, big name films, and I'm like, I can't think of him doing a movie in forever and i go and check this guy's filmography and i look and see that the last film that he ever directed which he also produced and wrote was 2003's geely uh considered uh, by many critics to be one of the worst films ever made and i ever still have not then. seen it i haven't seen it either in in 17 years he has not done a film since. Now, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm wondering if it's one of those things that, like, it was such scathing critical reception that he just couldn't deal with it anymore and just walked away, which is really unfortunate because I, we're never as bad as we. I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that we're never as bad as we are on our worst day, and we're never as good as we are on our best day. Um, it's a good, so it's a good it, life slogan. <laughs> yeah, it's like tra- trademark pending, um, but. Uh, so I would love to see him do another a movie again, but it's kind of surprising and a little bit sad that that uh, something like that um, un, unhinged his or you know derailed his career when it certainly didn't for uh, Ben Affleck or Jennifer Lopez. Well, I wonder if it's a case too, like with Midnight Run. I mean, how much of it is? I know we talk about it a lot, like how much is it the director? How much of it is like a certain actor's performance? I think with Midnight Run, it's almost maybe could have. Could anyone have directed this? I mean, as long as you give De Niro and maybe his genius is giving De Niro and Grodin like just time to time to simmer and marinate. Like there's not a hundred, there's not like we always say the MTV, you know, cut every two seconds, right? Like he lets scenes breathe. He lets these guys kind of, you know, annoy each other. There doesn't have to be a line of dialogue to fill every, you know, space of dead air. Like he Mm -hmm. lets them kind of feel lived in. Maybe that's part of his genius, and it really worked in this, and maybe it doesn't work in other films. I don't know. But, I mean, I can't really point to a certain, you know, a couple different techniques where I said, you know what, that's a, that's a Martin Breast, you know, signature. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. Or a signature I, move or decision. So I don't know. It's kind of like a coach thing, right? Like sometimes it's like, how do you really know if Phil Jackson's a good coach? Things like yeah. that. Sometimes I wonder, you know, we, if we do that about directors. I mean, I can't really say. It just seems like it's I, – I wonder if it's just a – look, if, if you don't have De Niro and Groden in here, it, does it work? I don't know. I, that's a good question. I think maybe the answer is no because it's one of those situations where I, I look at this and think if it was any other duo doing this – or can you see any other duo doing this movie? And I really can't. It's kind of one of those lightning in the bottle situations. Yes. And I think the, the, success, the reason for the success of this film is probably 75% to do with Charles, Go- Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro. Good call. I'd say the other 25% is probably George Gallo's um, script and the directing of, of Martin Brest. Um, and even then, that might be generous because other than – I mean, just from a screen po- screen uh, play point of view, the only other really good movie that um, Gallo's ever written, to be honest, is is Bad Boys. Um, it's kind of a laundry list of not so great. <laughs> other than that, uh, so yeah, which I think Bad Boys, that, uh, the first one, like with Sean Penn, or no, 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 no. Bad Boys with like Will Smith and oh, okay, and Martin Lawrence. I was thinking of the other. Um, have you ever seen the other Bad Boys? With Sean Penn, where he goes to prison? No, I didn't know that there was another Bad Boys, actually. It's good. Oh, well, interesting. We'll, I'll we'll, save, we'll save that for another day. For another pod. But, but uh, I, There's I think a ton I'd... of dudes considered for this role. As Jack Walsh, yes. I'm looking through the list, it's nuts. Pacino, Nicholson, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Kurt Russell, Gene Hackman, Travolta, Schwarzenegger, Stallone. Uh, I mean, that would be... I'm trying to think of which combo. I guess Bill Murray and Steve Steve Martin were considered for the Duke. I feel like a weird. There's a weird. Yeah, there's another in another lifetime. We'll see in another life, Jack. Uh, yeah, I love that line. It's so good. There's a version um, of it where I do. I can see Bill Murray as the Duke. Yeah, I could see that. Or even Steve Martin. But then does it get too? I think that some of the charm is you don't really. Groden hasn't really been in a ton of things. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like an odd pairing with De Niro, and that's kind of what makes it work. If you have two guys it, who are it, obvious, it ain't working. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the key word is obvious. I mean, does if it's Steve Martin um, in this situation, does that almost kind of overtake the film because he's Steve Martin? Or if it's Robin Williams, who that was another one that was was suggested as well. Um, does that kind of overtake it? I think you hit the nail on the head that Charles Grodin's been in just little enough that he doesn't come with the quote-unquote, I guess, comedy comedy baggage. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and yeah, as you said, comedy baggage to that, which makes it kind of work perfectly. I'm just glad that I mean, at one point, the production executives. Want suggested that uh, Mardukas actually be changed to a woman and that Cher play the role because they wanted some type of sexual overtones, uh, which Brest, which Martin Brest was like, yeah, that's a hard no, dog. I'm not, hard that's no, not, no freaking that's, way. That's, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that would have um, been a Hallmark movie. But uh, yeah, it would have been a Hallmark movie. But even but, with I mean, De Niro, De Niro is like, if nothing else, he's a minimalist, right? Like he never goes overboard. No. Uh, and that's like kind of what you need for this, for it to work, because Groden is a little over the top, right? He's super mm-hmm. annoying. And the beauty of De Niro's playing of Walsh is you feel like you're with him 
rolling your eyes every few seconds. You know, he says shut up about 12 times in this movie. Yeah. yeah Rightly so. And I think, I think we, yeah, he, he, he's like, oh my God, well, you know, it's kind of like, well, this guy shut up type situation. He's not quite as annoying as John Candy's Del Griffith from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, he's kind of more almost like that nagging in-law or something yeah. like that that just won't leave you alone about you smoking cigarettes and eating cheeseburgers and all, and all that other stuff. Um, but he's endearing, you know, yes. he kind of, he kind of grows on you. And I think in the one scene, part he's we not didn't just mention, a con artist, right? Like he no. doesn't seem like he's trying to con Jack the whole time. Like obviously he no. gets over on him a couple times, like pretending that he's afraid to fly. But other than that, yeah. he's, you could tell he really likes Jack. Yeah. A, a, other than being, yeah, he definitely cares for Jack. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they honestly would have been, friends if, if circumstances would have been different and you know even he's even if he says about you know i'm not i'm not a criminal even though he embezzled the money because he only embezzled it because he found out who he's working for he's like i thought i was being accountant for an honest group of people i didn't realize it was a front um you know so it's almost he he kind of sees himself as almost a robin hood type and it's it's funny to me that you know we have a 1988 film where De Niro's character of Jack Walsh it, um, gets drummed out of the police department from a corrupt police department that protects its own. And then, <laughs> then we've got Charles Grodin's character, the Duke, taking money from corrupt people and giving it to charity. I mean, that's pretty, it's kind of on the nose for 2020 a little bit, or the last, that last couple of years. It's interesting that this movie still holds up uh, 32 years later. But the one thing we didn't even mention was the the fact that freaking the Duke steals a plane in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just goes and steals a plane after we have, have the under the impression that he was afraid of flying the whole time. That's what, a nice little do you remember twist. what your reaction to that was when you first saw? I don't just because I, it was again. I don't remember like the, a, a big event of a sit down watch for this that first time. I think it was just like mm -hmm. a you know because it was a cable staple and it was always on. And you'd watch a couple scenes here and there. And then I think it became a big hit in my household growing up with my dad. Because one day we were like, look at Midnight Runs on tonight at 8. Let's watch it from the beginning. We seem to get a kick out of this. You know, and then we would like gradually watch. But yeah, I don't remember like what I thought that first time. But I always have to admit that I forget that that happens. <laughs> I'm always forgetting about that. And I love that scene too where De Niro seems like he's really surprised. He doesn't yeah. right away say, oh, like he almost like you see him running around that, that store that building, mm -hmm. he's almost not sure that that's Grodin in there. He's like, right. Wait, that can't be, there's no it's way that son of a, and then all of a sudden he yeah. starts hauling ass, which again yeah. is more credit to De Niro here, where it seems like this whole thing is just unscripted for him, a testament to his uh, kind of godliness as an actor. Nobody says son of a bitch better than De Niro in this movie. He's like, yo, son of a bitch, Duke, let me fucking in the door. You know? <laughs> he swears. So I can't believe, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, I remember reading about this years ago. Midnight was, so it was Midnight Run might have had the lead for most F-bombs. And I think I would think. passed it up. Yeah. Like and now it's held, and okay. now it's held by Wolf of Wall Street. So it is right. Like technically, yeah. but man, mm -hmm. it's, when you watch these movies though, it feels like Midnight Run. Like if you were to watch all three and then you didn't know the statistics and I said, Corey, which movie has the most F-bombs? I think you'd go with Midnight Run. I probably it would. It feels like there's so many more. Yes. And it's like 25% of De Niro's vocabulary in here. 
pretty much. <laughs> One thing we didn't I wonder how many he just added off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Dennis Farina in real life, a Chicago police officer. He was a Chicago police officer. Really? Which is kind of uh, ironic. Ironic. Yeah. So I did not that know that. That was kind of intriguing. Nice little fun fact. Yeah, that's I interesting. I had Didn't one more that. fun fact here. Oh, Martin Brest makes a cameo in this. Do you know where? You no. Probably, you probably read about where. I didn't realize because I don't even know what he looks like, to be honest. Yeah, me neither. He, so he played the ticket clerk who served uh, Marvin, John Ashton, where he's like, smoking or non-smoking? And he's like, take oh. a wild guess because he's got a <laughs> cigarette in his mouth at the time. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the uh, yeah. The other thing that was ubiquitous was f words and, and people smoking, um, but it was yeah. Sign of the I, times, I, just, I guess. Sign of the times, ex- exactly. And it's kind of fun. I just look at that and think, man, how things were so how things were different back then when it comes to social situations like that. You know, though, it's always been an interesting thing with cigarettes in Hollywood, especially because I remember reading years ago some article on how one of the reasons why smoking was featured so prominently in movies way back in the day was, you know, there'd be a lot of a lot of movies at the beginning where like a lot of them were heavily, heavily, heavy dialogue, I guess you could say. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the special effects they do now, of course, obviously. Uh, So you'd have to have the actor would have to be doing something in the shot. They couldn't just be looking at each other. It'd be the most boring most boring movie ever. So they would have to be doing something with their hand, something with their mouth. And I guess they thought cigarette smoking was, that was the reason why they incorporated that. The and way it to just go. became a thing, right? Like in here, it's like, did you it's constant, constant. It's almost funny to watch. Yeah, it is funny to watch. And it, and, and just to your point, it, and then to go, to take it a step farther, you see a lot of the famous, you know, actors then promoting a particular brand of cigarette either before the movie even started with the, you know, back when there was some kind of per- commercial promos or even in like, you know, for television shows. Like I keep thinking about um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where there's, a, I think it's towards the end where, you know, the main, uh, uh, who is it? Leonardo DiCaprio's main character who, who played, you know, on a Western for several years and smoked in, in the show. You know, he did. He was also doing commercials for the brand, which he didn't even like. He's like, these take like shit. You know, like when, when <laughs> right. Thing, things got cut but you know again different era get different time absolutely all right so uh pivoting from that we want to get into our news segment but yeah i'm curious what you think as time goes on and and you watch this film again down the road you know the little things that you kind of tend to pick up on but you have such an eagle eye that i was surprised by all the little things that you kind of said you appreciated on the on the first watch well it's funny that you mentioned that i have an eagle eye because you know i've been living at my house for nine years. My wife still thinks I can't find anything where anything in this house. (laughs) Corey, where'd you put the keys? She's also not wrong. So, (laughs) so at least somebody in my life thinks I have an eagle eye. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right. Our new segment, we're continuing it for week four, I believe. Yes. We, I don't think we can call it a new segment anymore. I think we have to just call it our our regular segment at this point. (laughs) All right. I'll get rid of that new newness. (laughs) Once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Luke and Corey's WRL. What are we watching, reading, and listening to? Luke Mayo, you're up first, sir. What are you watching this past week? I watched, I would call it a classic in in Luke Mayo's weird little world, a movie I loved when I was a youngster, and we watched it outside under the stars the other night with my daughters. Uh, Space Camp came out in the 80s. A lot of fun watching that. Kate Capshaw, very, it mm-hmm. had a lot of that same um, kind of, it did a great job of creating that wonder 
and also intensity of space and what they have to go through, similar to mm-hmm. The Martian, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Kate Capshaw, though, with the lead role, a young Joaquin Phoenix, he's like 10 in there, named Leaf Goes by at Leaf. the time. Yeah. Yep. The late Kelly Preston, which was kind of sad, but also good to see her again. You know, as we say, we talked about that with, with Chadwick Boseman is, look, at these, these characters will forever live on which was mm-hmm. also kind of nice to see. Um, also, Tate Tom Skerritt, I believe, right? Yeah, Tom Skerritt, also in there. And uh, who's, there's one more in there. Oh, Leah Thompson, of course. So Yes. That was the big watch this week for, uh, for the Mayo family. And it's still, I got to say, it still holds up. There's a big robot in there. Not yes. a big robot. There's the, the, uh, a, a, a robot that plays a critical role, I should Jinx. say. Jinx. <laughs> Jinx, yeah. Max. Put Max in space. <laughs> I was just thinking, he had me thinking about that robot from the Paul, the Happy Birthday Polly robot in Rocky Four. Yes, how these '80s movies were like obsessed with robots. Yeah, it's a thing for and whatever we, reason. And we got to watch. And I also watched. I shouldn't say watched. Learned about, and you did as well. How uh, Stallone's releasing like an, a new version, I guess, of Rocky Four. Director's like kind of cut. Director's cut. He's taking out the robot, which is yes, he's ludicrous. Do- he he's he's taking out a uh, he's he's doing a director's cut for the 35 year anniversary of Rocky Four, which is this year, I believe, in I want to say November. Um, and yeah, he's he's taking out the robot stuff completely, which I you know it's one of those things that it, people hated it when it first happened, but it's kind of grown on people's ears. And I can't. That's one of those signature things about Rocky Four. If you think about about Polly's. Uh, a robot. So and it's, go it's listen kinda... to our Rocky Four episode for the backstory on why they engaged yes. that robot. We're not going to get into it here. It's too long. Yes. So does yeah, but that's that's interesting that he's doing a a, a Rocky Four director's cut. I still would want to see it, but yeah, it's absolutely. sad that he would want to take that out. Sure. Anything else you've been watching this past week, sir? That was the uh, that was the big one, and I rewatched the Batman trailer again. The one coming out uh, soon, <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm even more excited for it than I was before. So. That was my big cool. watch, though, Space Camp. All right. So I my big watch this past week is I watched uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. I bought it on uh, a Voodoo. I've always been a huge fan of the Bill and Ted movies, uh, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I actually saw Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey when it came out in the theater way back in the summer of uh, 91. Saw it with my cousins. I was visiting my grandparents in Oklahoma at the time, and we all went and saw it. And, you know, we, we had wanted to see – Terminator 2 Judgment Day, but nobody would buy the tickets for us at the time. I was being like 12 years old and everything. But I remember loving it then. And I, and I really, really liked Bill and Ted Face the Music. It's, you know, you got to check your brain at the it's door a little getting bit. Getting good reviews. It's, it's perpetually goofy, but it's perpetually optimistic and fun. And just, you know, a lot of people are saying this is the movie we need right now. This is the movie at least I kind of needed right now um, in, in, in a 2020 year that has not always been the greatest in the world. So I, I would highly recommend it. It was, it was fun. It was well, funny. You got a little was, nostalgia was, in there, a little lighthearted yep. humor, of course. Yep. A little lighthearted humor. And uh, it just, uh, I, I really appreciate it a lot. The other thing I've been watching and I'm almost finished with is that um, I, I've been telling you that I've been uh, making my way through the flash um, television show from CW, but this past week I kind of riffed on that and I watched um what it something that happened earlier this year they had the crisis on infinite earths um sequence is basically uh, a, f- a five-part um crossover event from like five different shows um so it was really it was actually really cool i mean it's it, the what i find surprising about these shows and the people in them is that the 
the special effects aren't that great. It, it is TV and it is CW. Um, but the real life human emotion and the, and the passion and the pathos and the interaction between the characters, you can't fake any of that. And it's really, really real and kind of, you know, there's a couple times it really got to me on a gut level. So I really highly, I highly recommend it. That was great. So that's what I've been watching this past week. Sir, what have you been reading this past week? Well, it's movie-related, and I sent you the link, and now I'm excited to see the movie that the article was based on. An article based mm-hmm. on a movie called Grizzly 2, which came out in the 80s. as this unfinished yep. monster movie about a bear that attacks actually a young George Clooney, Laura Dern, and Charlie Sheen. The movie yes. was filmed in Hungary, and the, whole, <laughs> the, the, the crux of the plot involves the bear kind of taking on this, this big music concert. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was just the article. It's on the ringer, the ringer.com bananas. <laughs> it's just absolutely bananas. Like the crap that went on behind the scenes and the goofball characters involved, like the producers, the agents mm-hmm. involved in this and what happened to the bear and just the kind of like movie landscape that this movie was created in. And you could see some of the scenes on YouTube. You might even be able to find the whole thing on YouTube. I don't know. But they're going to Cold War. Too. They're going to be streaming it soon. So we were saying, and you suggested, he was like, we got to watch this. We got to do a pod on it when it comes out. Um, but the article was a lot of fun. I mean, it might end up being one of those things where the article, which is long, I mean, it's like a 20 minute read, could yeah. be better than the movie itself. Yep. I mean, I, I, that was one of the things I was going to mention that I read as well. I read the article. I didn't read the a whole thing. I read a, a good portion of it because I remember that I'd read some, more, some about this like <laughs> six months ago um, and, and had forgotten. But it's, it's, it's just I'm so fascinated just to see this thing from a cinematic history history perspective, uh, and just that something this I mean I'm not expecting this to be any great shakes by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it this movie almost demands to be seen based on its crazy history in and of itself. And I even went back and looked at, you know, dug a little bit of a deep dive in the original Grizzly, which came out in 76, which is pretty much a carbon copy of Jaws. I mean, it's basically Jaws on land, right down to the, the bear being exploded at the end of the film. Um, so this this sounds like it should be a fun watch. Hopefully it comes to, like, a streaming service that we both have access to that we can watch, because I would def- this sounds bananas, and I would love to do a podcast on this. Maybe Anything else you're reading, sir? you got to release that on January 1st. Start the new year off right. Let's get rid of 2020. I'm hoping the vaccine comes out on the same day that Grizzly 2 <laughs> is released on a streaming service. We know which one of those would be more important. <laughs> of course, Grizzly, Grizzly 2. 2. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that was the big... Uh, and a book on uh, minimalism. I don't know if I mentioned that uh, before. It's called The New Minimalism. And it kind of piggybacks off of the whole, I believe her name was Mary Kondo, about throwing away stuff that just doesn't work and decluttering your life. But the mm-hmm. book was uh, written by a, a young man in Japan who just was one of those guys who felt he had too much stuff and he felt mm-hmm. he was buying that stuff for the wrong reasons, whether it was yep. you know, fancy clothes or a car or you know, electronics for his house and he started decluttering and he just kind of, uh, you know, learned to appreciate life a little bit more, a lot more actually. But there's a lot of just fun, like not fun, but he makes it fun, but there's a lot of just intriguing life lessons in there that I think anybody could take away from, especially if you live in America. I think a lot of times we forget how much stuff we have, you know, regardless of your, your, your income. So, uh, Worth the, worth the checkout at the library, in my humble it's opinion. Like, 
it's like Thoreau said, simplify. But yes. you, you're right. I mean, I, I'm I'm the same way. I'm trying to. One of the things I'm trying to do is actually convert a lot of my DVDs and stuff to um, digital, so I don't have that in my house. And like, give obviously one of the things I told you is I want to give I want to give you some. I'm not sure if you want them now after reading the minimalist, no, I minimalist do. book. Movies and music but, I like to hold, and books, movies, music, and books. I try not to have too much, but I'll still take them. Yeah, it's it, it's just so funny how much, especially you hit the nail on the head about it. we as Americans have so much stuff. I mean, like just watch the old George Carlin, um, uh, you know, routine where he talks about stuff. But I mean, it, it's so funny because we think this stuff somehow matters and is going to make our lives better when statistics and research have consistently shown that it's not things that make us happy. It's experiences. Yes. And even better, it's, it's experiences with the people that are closest to us that make us even happier. I mean, my mom, my late mom, God love her. One of the things that she always wanted to do was go on vacations because she wanted to make great memory memories. You know, she didn't, you know, she was kind of minimalist in that situation. Didn't believe so much in things, but loved to travel, loved to experience things, especially with those around her. So when it comes to, to minimalism, I think that's something that we can all, <laughs> we can all, all take a page from and, and probably try to emulate myself. It's something I always try to teach. We try to teach our girls because my wife's big on the whole minimalism thing. And I, and let me correct myself. The book is, it, it is worth checking out. It's worth it on Amazon. I'm actually looking it up now. It's like 15 bucks or whatever. Uh, paperback, hardcover, Kindle, 12 bucks. It's called Goodbye Things, the new Japanese minimalism. So I think I called it the new minimalism, which that's another book, but this one's Goodbye Things, which I kind of like the Goodbye. title. Goodbye Things. That sounds interesting. Um, so for myself, in terms of reading, I read some of the article that you sent me on that Grizzly too. But the other thing uh, that I've been reading, I forgot to mention that, I, that I've actually been reading to my son is he's, we're starting to get more into chapter books now. Cool. And, and he's, uh, we've been reading this series of books called The Bad Guys. There's like about 12 of them. Huh. And basically it's about this group of what we would consider to be stereotypical bad guys. There's a wolf, there's a piranha, there's a tarantula, there's a great white shark, and there's a snake. And they're basically headed up by, this, by the wolf character who basically wants to flip the script. He's like, we're perceived as bad guys, but I want us to be good guys. I want us to do good things. And it's kind of like a hijinks adventure. It's, it's very funny. Um, it's, it's different. The, the piranha is from Bolivia, and he's always getting called the goldfish. And I've been, what I've been trying to do is, like, when I read this to my son, is to have different voices. And for, for some reason, I don't know why the default was to this, but the, the head character, the wolf, I'm talking it as Billy D. Williams. Like that has become my, as I was like, Hey, how's it going there? You know, it's like, I've just got that kind of Lando's never left me, baby. Type. So when it comes to, when it comes to that character, but that's, that's what I've been, that's what I have been reading uh, this past You'd week. be so, great for like being like a, yeah, like a father in terms of reading these books to your kids, because you could do so many voices. Like give me the Christopher Walken version of a sentence <laughs> from this book. Jack Spratt's. Could eat no fat. His <laughs> wife could eat no lean. <laughs> I don't know what the rest of that's. Your walking is better than walking. <laughs> um, talking with walking. Talking um, with walking. So, and lastly, Mr. Mayor, what are you listening to? Just picked up the new Avid Brothers album. It's called The Gleam 3 or Gleam Part 3 or The Third Gleam, whatever. Usually they got their backing band behind them, but this whole Gleam thing, uh, it's just the two brothers and uh, the bass player, and it's a good folk 
rock kind of laid back album and uh, really kind of digging the lyrics. I've really digged their music over the last few years. And this is their new album. I got the physical copy. I'm old school, man. I got Ooh, the physical copy. Yeah, physical copy. I know. No iTunes for this cowboy. So that's yeah. been, uh, I've been kind of doing a deep dive into that and uh, always going through the Prince catalog, been jamming out to his album Musicology as well. So those are the two albums Ooh. in my tape deck, so to speak. It's your tape deck. Um, as for myself, uh, funny enough, I've actually been listening to some of our old podcasts. Yes! Um, just, just to see how Talk about experiences. How we, where we've come. Like I, you know, listened to our to our, you know, our our first one we ever did, which is you know, um, the rise of Skywalker, and just to think some of the things that like we were we were so oblivious to what was about to drop in two months, um, but yes. just to see the rhythm and how things have changed since then, how our how our audio has gotten a lot better for one, uh, you know, just even even balancing that out. But even the one, I think I've goes, noticed is the. Um when we're not in the same room, cause we've done all these, we've only done two live, I believe. Yeah. We did Skywalker and we did Shawshank, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And then that was it. And then the rest well, of we actually did, Zoom. we actually did major league in the natural as well. I think feel the dream, but that the one, natural. the field and dreams in the natural, but no, that, no, that one, was on zoom. Cause I remember that's when yes, I was it like, was. we got to get you a mic. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It sounded right. Like you were recording it like in the bathroom closet. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but it's just I thought I, I think you know we kind of I'm not trying to like self congratulate ourselves, but at the same time I think we've progressed very far when yes. it comes to you know in the terms of the rhythm and the patterns of, of this podcast, and it's it's amazing and it's so funny to to listen to some of the old ones and just see how naive we are. I was listening to the Conan the Barbarian one, and we got talking about right at the bat, beginning about COVID. And it's like, I'm hoping we will have made a good dent in this and things will have been turning the corner by, like, say, May 1st. <laughs> and I was like, Oof. oh, no, really? oh, you young, naive man, you Luke Mayo. Well, that's what's um, kind so of is these will always live. Well, ideally, as long as the Internet's around. So in 20 yep. years, we can go back and, you know, we'll be talking about like even, you know, the Jordan, that Michael Jordan Bulls documentary seemed like it was seven years ago. Yeah. You know, and oh, we talked God. about those for like four podcasts or so. Yep, um, we did. The other thing that I am also listening to because I listen to um, audiobooks is uh, on my Audible is I, I was like I need a good I haven't I was like I need a good fantasy book to either read or listen to, so I looked up and there Joe or George R. R. Martin recommended this dude from England called Joe Ambercrombie and he he uh, he's he's kind of in the same vein. Um, as George R. R. Martin, and he, and I saw that he like basically had George R. R. Martin had given him a big um, recommendation. So I decided to I downloaded his uh, first book in a, a trilogy called the First Law series, and it's called The Blade Itself. I mean, it's from a quote from Socrates, actually, apparently, um, and it's actually it's really good um, really? so far. I'm. I, I'm into it so far. Not a ton of magic or anything, but very much kind of uh, medieval um, lords and ladies. But the main character is this guy named Logan Nine, fig nine Figures. There's a lot of different, you know, realms. It's not as, as sometimes convoluted as George R. R. Martin stuff. Not as many characters, but there's this kind of uh, gritty realism to it that I'm really digging. And there was today there was this one line that was great because this guy, basically this. Uh, 
um, King's son comes to demand that this certain like magi or like a wizard come like to his kind of council or something. And he does this trick where basically he's, he's doing almost like a Darth Vader force choke, basically cutting off his, his, you know, making him choke and all this stuff while he's laughing at him. And he's like, He's like, unless some, unless somebody comes back from the dead and asks me to go, nobody commands me anything. The next time somebody is sent here, you tell your father to, to come down here and talk to me himself. I prefer to prefer to talk to the horse's head, not the horse's ass. Now get Ooh. the fuck out of here. And I was a like, Nero in there. Damn, you know that was like okay. Uh, no, I kind of added that for some oh, okay. flavor, but they, th- there is some swearing and stuff. It has that little bit of that Game of Thrones feel to it. So I'm, I'm digging it so far. I do like it. So hard to top freaking the Game of Thrones world after reading and seeing that stuff. Yeah, well, I, I just the same thing after Lord of the Rings when I read some of those books and saw the movies. I'm like, that's it. Like the genre is dead because how can you top this? But then I got into Game of Thrones and I'm like, screw Lord of the Rings. And it's, it's. It, I'm just so desperate for Mort Martin to finish that that sixth book and you know give us something. Hopefully, it comes out soon. But it's funny you mentioned that. You know, you always think, oh, nothing will top this. Nothing will top that. I think it's going to be later this year, or early next year. There's a really good series coming out called um, The Wheel of Time that was based on a series of books that I read. I I I've read them for since I was in college. Actually, is this the series um, where Lin Manuel Miranda is like part of bringing it to the? I don't think screen. so. He's part of no, some I, fantasy series that you oh, probably yes. know about that I think, I think it's coming yeah, to TV or movie. I think he's part of the Dark Materials ones that's on HBO. But this one's something huh. separate. It's, uh, okay. it's got uh, – yeah. It, but it look, it's a great cast. I'm interested to see if it's done really well because Amazon's been pretty spot on with some of their original programming so far. Speaking of, I can't wait. Friday, the boys comes back for season two, and I'm really excited about that. That means we've got – wait a minute. So that come back, comes back when? Friday. So that means oh, so we got to discuss it next pod. Well, from what I hear is that the first 3 episodes are dropping on Friday and then it's one episode a week for 5 weeks after that. Ah. Which is yeah, interesting, I just, but I lo- we can definitely discuss it in this segment. <laughs> I just looked that's right. I just looked it up. It's King Killer Chronicle. Oh, okay, yes. That Lynn Manuel uh, Miranda is part of. Yes. Uh, it's, I tried reading that and it's, I got through one book and it is God awful. Like I oh, know really? it, it got really good reviews. I absolutely detested it. I thought it was okay. boring. I could not relate to the character just left me cold. And, you know, I, I gave it the Frisbee treatment, as you said last week after I yes. read that one book. So. Well, all right. That's it folks. Midnight run episode 26 in the books. We'll see you in the next lifetime, Jack. See you next life, Jack. I should say, uh, for Corey cook. Luke Mayo signing out for the People's Republic of Veronicoid. And remember, kids, all movies are subjective. Your mileage may vary. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.